sitting comfortably then we'll begin everybody and welcome to another episode of Glory Days of Gold, the East Fife and Scottish football podcast. I'm your host Michael McCall and I'm flying solo this episode because I've got some sad news to bring you. Unfortunately, some of you will know Lee was on vacation up in Aviemore. He's been the victim of just a, a terrible threshing machine accident. I'm trying to put the pieces together, but my jigsaw skills are a little bit out of date and kind of rusty, but I'm getting there, so we will hopefully put them together as best as we can for next week's show. Think of him like Humpty Dumpty. Not because he, he looks like Humpty Dumpty from a body point of view, more that he his head looks like an egg. But in all seriousness, Lee has actually done his backing. He's in a lot of pain just now, so he's not able to be on tonight's show. We wish him all the very best, send him all our love and good wishes, and hopefully he has a nice relaxing week, the drugs kick in, and we can get him back on next week's show, talking about what will hopefully be an East Fife League win over Partick Thistle. So you're stuck with me though for this episode. We're going to look at East Fife's two Betfred Cup matches this week. No Fife fan zone this week either though because these two matches didn't really matter much in the grand scheme of things so I thought we'd bring you a different kind of show this week so I've got some interviews in there I've got an interview coming up with a Scottish legend from the AFT and Vaults we're bringing you a lot of our fun segments including a new fun section that we've done with a, a lot of our guests that we've had on the show all of that is still to come though And we can't have a show this week, a Scottish football show, without talking about the big news of the week. Scotland's gone to the Euros. Scotland's gone to the Euros. Yes, we'll be delving into that in this week's show as well. And next week when we've got Lee and the Five Fan Zone crew back as well. But we're going to kick things off looking at the two East Fife games that were played this week. I'm not going to go into a lot of details about them because, as I said, in the grand scheme of things, these do not matter too much. They were our final two Betfred Cup games. Two very close encounters against Scottish Championship teams. East Fife, in both the matches, gave a very good account of themselves. Went down to a one-goal defeat, meaning in the three games that they have played against higher league opposition in the Betfred Cup, they've lost 
by a single goal in every single game. And in all the games as well, they've had a, an opportunity to at least draw and win, I think, genuinely, all, all three of those matches. So there's a, certainly a lot of positives to take from that. I think it shows that we're maybe not too far away from getting this team playing the kind of football that Darren Young is wanting them to play. It also maybe shows as well that we're maybe still one or two pieces away from being able to make that jump where we don't just prove competitive against this higher league opposition, but we can actually beat the higher league opposition. I mean, we're getting close. You've got the likes of Falkirk and Partick Thistle in our division this year that's basically the equivalent of a higher league opposition. So these things maybe show us that we maybe need to still add one or two more pieces. The action kicked off on Tuesday night at Bayview, the home game against Hearts. Worst possible start, and I think one of the worst starts I've ever seen from one of my teams in a football match. 20 seconds in, 1-0 down, Ollie Lee, some really poor East 5 defending, not clearing the ball. About 70 seconds later, Lee strikes again from a corner, another goal given up from a corner, more slack defending as well. Stevie Hislop mentioned on the commentary that basically the defence just switched off. So you're just over 90 seconds in and you're two down. Now, a lot of teams would just have crumbled at that point. Their heads would have gone down. They'd be like, well, this game doesn't mean much anyway. Let's just get through the 90 minutes and get out of here, get back into the, the dressing room. But full credit to East Fife. They then took the game to Hearts for so much of the rest of the game. I mean, Hearts had a, a number of chances themselves, but when you consider that you're two down after about 90-odd seconds, Darren Young's game plan completely out the window. The team had to regroup, and they did so well. They created a number of chances, and then they got one back in the 39th minute. Hamilton showing the kind of striker that I love, a, a kind of poacher, the old-fashioned Scottish poacher, a guy that's just there in the box to mop up if the, the keeper parries the ball or some loose ball or if the ball comes to him from close range, he can tuck it away. He did that. Another goal to add to him. And he's having a fantastic season. I've been very, very impressed with what I've seen from Jack Hamilton so far. I know he missed a penalty today and we're going to come to that. But like in general, he's had a, a really strong season. And we could have equalised just seconds later Agnew had a great chance that was saved by the Hearts keeper. I mean, it could have been two all. We could have scored two goals in a minute, pretty much like Hearts did. And then at the start of the second half, we almost got the equaliser then, again catching Hearts as cold as Hearts caught us at the start of the first half. But in the end, Hearts went ahead 3-1, just past the hour mark. Great strike from Andrew Irvin, a long-range strike, so full credit to the, the Hearts boy for that one. But again... East Fife heads did not go down. Two minutes later, Ryan Wallace puts it away. I think he was really struggling to bring the ball down on the artificial pitch with a bounce, but he ended up doing so and tucked it away. And of course, East Fife should have had a penalty. Seven minutes from time, handball in the box. I know it wasn't deliberate, but that hand was in an unnatural position. The letter off the law, whether you like it or not, and I personally hate it, but the current law means that was a penalty. We've had penalties given against us. We've watched football every weekend on the TV and these penalties are given every single week across the country. But for some reason, 
but the, re- the referee just missed it or whatever, it wasn't given. Ends up being a 3-2 Hearts win, but I really think East Fife can take a, a lot of credit from that. The fight, the heart, the passion, that's all you can ask from, from, from your team. And we got that in spades on Tuesday night, so very, very proud of that performance. And they certainly gave Hearts a, a run for their money. I know it wasn't a full-strength Hearts team as well, and they, they kind of fielded some of the younger guys. But just a, a lot of hope to be taken from that one. And a lot of hope to be taken from Saturday's game as well. Although it was a 1-0 loss to Inverness Cali Thistle, long trip north, East Fife played some really good stuff in that. And after the game, Darren Young was very happy with how things had gone and how the team played. Thinks there's a, a lot to build upon. And I, I totally agree with that. Now, now at half time, and it took until the 64th minute for the deadlock to finally be broken. And it was the home side that got it. Sutherland headed in a corner. Another goal going up from a corner. I know we've been harping on about this. I know Tony McMinn on last week's show explained that it's not as bad as it kind of comes across. But two goals this week given up from corners. So not ideal. Really, really got to improve the, the defensive side of the game there. But I mean, East Fife then took the game to Inverness Cali, had a couple of chances, and then they got the best chance of all in stoppage time. Jack Hamilton brought down in the box, definitely a penalty. The young lad gets up, dusts himself down. The Cali keeper Mackay guesses the right way, keeps the kick out. Game finishes 1-0. A tough one to lose after all that, but at the, the grand scheme of things... A lot of learning, I think, for Darren Young and the squad. He got to see some different partnerships working. He got to see how the team responds to adversity, like in that Hearts game. So I think, all in all, two defeats, but it wasn't a bad week at the office. Something to take into next week's game with Partick Thistle. That rounds up the Betfred Cup for us this year. From our group, interestingly, only Hearts advance. East Five finished fourth out of the fifth teams just getting three points in the end, which was that win over Cowdenbeath in the first game. But three other games, as I said, where we gave a really good account of ourselves against higher league opposition. And only Hearts went through, which made me smile because Rovers finished second, but they did not get in as one of the four best-placed runners-up. So no one else from our group made it through, so suck on that, lads. And also what I say, today's stream against Hearts was made free. Both clubs agreed to make that stream free, which meant East Fife lost out on half of the revenue that would be taken from the stream. But nice gesture from East Fife to agree that all fans could see it free of charge. Obviously, stuff like that does hit clubs in the coffers, especially lower league clubs. Not saying Inverness Cali are, are well off, but they've probably got some more money floating about than East Fife currently do. And by the sound of it, they're going to also be allowed 300 fans into their game next week against Wraith Rovers. So that's something that we'll keep an eye on and maybe chat about in next week's show. But I've got to give full credit to Lee, who, on the back of us talking about that Donate a Ticket website on last week's show, Lee thought what a good idea it would be to launch Donate a Ticket for this game for East Fife fans. So you didn't have to pay for it on East Fife TV. You didn't have to pay for it at all on Inverness Cali TV. So he arranged a fundraising campaign through Glory Days of Gold to have a Donate a Ticket for any East Fife fans that wanted to give something and he'd send the money straight to the club. He's already done that and it raised a very impressive, I feel, £240. So 
Well done to Lee for getting that started. And thank you so much and a huge well done to all the East Fife fans that contributed to that. We had it as part of the deal that everyone that contributed would be down as a sponsor for a future episode. So we'll be giving you all name checks in some future episodes. So thank you so much. I know the club are very appreciative of it. And let's just hope if we need to get any more fundraising done down the line that we we can rise to the cause like that. So overall, I think those performances, and especially a long trip north to Inverness, will do a lot for team camaraderie, just bonding of the team. We've certainly got a, a good squad at Bayview at the moment, and I mean that they have shown that they are competitive against teams of a higher quality, teams in a higher division. Certainly something to build upon. Darren Young said after the match that he feels the the performances this week's going to give the team a, a lot of confidence now going back into league play. And they obviously have a very tough game coming up this Saturday against Partick Thistle at Fir Hill, playing another full-time team. We'll be back in next week's show chatting about that game and having five fans on return as well. And Darren also talked about the fact that the team's fitness levels seem to be very good. He just needs to keep those levels up, though, as the weeks go on, and he's confident he can. It's good that the games are kind of coming thick and fast now after having such a break where you can just kind of get into the flow a little bit more. There's definitely competition for places. There's going to be some players that feel that they should be in the start in 11, so it's there. So, I mean, it's basically up to them now to, to go out there and show that they deserve to, to take that starting jersey. If they're on the subs bench and they get called on, go and put in a display that shows that you de- deserve to be in the starting lineup. If you are a starter, you need to go out there now and show that you deserve to keep that starting spot. So, I mean, that's all very good. And there's certainly been a, a lot of positives, I feel, from East Fives eight games so far. Four in the league, four in the cup. Got a good team. Got some good teammates. And I think it's it's time to bring you the first of tonight's fun sections on the show. We're going to bring you another one of our popular teammate section. We kicked things off a couple of weeks ago with Kevin Smith. Dishing the dirt. Sharing some home truths about the current East Five squad. We like to give a right to reply. One of the guys that got pelters from Kev Smith was assistant manager Tony McMinn. So I've invited him on the show now to tell us a little bit about his East Five teammates. We are the most reliable, definitely undeniable. It's like we're you and I about teammates, teammates, we. So we're going to talk some teammates with you. So we had Kevin Smith talking teammates, and he kind of stitched you up a little bit. Wasn't complimentary of your dress sense, amongst other things, and mu- musical taste. Cannot believe Kevin Smith tried to do me in. Have you seen what he wears? So we're, we're going to do some teammates with you. And I know as assistant manager, you maybe shouldn't be stitching your your players up, but they would be doing it to you. So just some quick fire hits. First player that comes into your mind from the current squad... Or if you want, a, a very recent squad. So, who is the, the joker of the dressing room? Um, the ones that are always having a carry-on, like Dunsey and Kyle Bell and stuff. Um, but there was... Um, uh, Brett Long will fall for anything, though. 
Like he's the easiest person in the world to wind up. Is there anyone that can't take a wind up? Um, Dave was really serious, like really serious, like ah, uh, just the grumpiest man in the world. <laughs> who who do you feel is the best dancer and the worst dancer in the team? If you're doing a celebrations and you're getting all the dancing in, who would who would pull it off and who would be the nightmare? There's no chance Kev Smith could move. Um, he's like a tin man. Um, I don't know who would be the best dancer. Belly would fancy himself. He would really fancy himself. Now, you were stitched up for, for clothes. Who's got the best the best sort of fashion in the in the dressing room and who's got the worst dress sense? I normally only see them with their trackies on. Um, they're like too many of them wonder about with like their tracky like bottoms rolled up and stuff. Just wear a pair of shorts if you want to do that. Um but like when you see like we've had a couple of teen nights out and stuff, Kev Smith's horrendous. Like Kev Smith is just a pair of jeans. He likes Timbies. Like, who still wears Timbies? And then an All Saints jumper. Like, just, it's just a plain, old, plain tight All Saints jumper, and that's it. Um, it Does doesn't he have the Timbies what... that fold down? Remember uh, <laughs> To be fair, he turned up the last time with like, a pair of Vans, but he's too old for them as well. And far too old for them. I've just bought a pair of them. Watch what you're saying. <laughs> I'm I'm keeping quiet in this. I have vans and sketchers, so I'll just keep my keep my mouth shut. <laughs> Funnily enough, Lee actually has an All Saints top, but it's for the band. It's he's not spending the money on that other thing. Doesn't he get a look in after <laughs> one? So what, what is Kev? What did Kev give me a bit for my Adidas trainers and stuff? Yeah, well, he, he, he who right. he said he said Jonathan Long was the worst dressed sense, and then he was like, oh, why did I not say Tony? <laughs> <laughs> That was uh, it. Wasn't Jonathan Page. Paul. Jonathan Page. He got pillars. Well, I mean, we, we talked about All Saints musically there. I mean, who's got the best taste of music in the dressing room? Who's got the worst? Who would you want to put on some pre-game music, and who would you definitely not? Waldo stuff's decent. He he he's like the the DJ before the before the game. Um, he's because you, you got pillars for this for wanting to put on Celtic songs. Uh, that may have been me and Pat Slattery. Um, <laughs> that was uh, no, no. To be fair, when they play him and the 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 changing him, um, I'm trying to think who would have the worst. I don't know. I, I could imagine Higgy listening to like some boring stuff, like <laughs> David David Gray or Dido or something. He would probably listen to that in the car. You, you touched with me. We did our chat about Ryan Wallace as maybe the biggest moaner. Is, is there anyone that's different on the pitch that they're very either? very motivating on the pitch and a moaner in the dressing room or they're very motivational in the dressing room and they're a big moaner on the pitch? Most of them are quite good. Um, Ross Davidson's like the quietest guy off the park and then like he crosses a white line and he literally argues with himself sometimes. <laughs> but he'll just argue with anybody for the sake of it. Um, but no, they're, they're, they're actually, you know, they're, they're quite good. They're, they demand of each other and and things like that, but there's nobody that's got like a complete split personality or anything like that. Just a couple more. Who's the most intelligent uh, if, in the East Five team just now? Who's going to be sitting reading the Guardian and highbrow books? Danny Denham. Yeah, I thought that. Danny Denham. Um, he's far too busy on Twitter and 
that kind of thing. Um, that would be him. Um, definitely he's too busy to come on this show, apparently. Oh, he's, I would just want to save it for his own podcast, don't he? <laughs> Who's the Dumbo then? Who's the... I'll, I'll maybe rephrase that. That's not a nice thing. Who who would be the least intelligent? Brett Long. Brett Long and Belly. Like, Belly does some stupid things as well, but I know Brett just... He's not the brightest. As goalkeepers, just uh, in general, really, it's... <laughs> oh, but Jordan Hart's quite intelligent, though. Oh. Jordan's, uh, Jordan's quite an intelligent one. He's got a degree and all that kind of stuff. Um... He kind of bucks the trend a wee bit. Um, but Brett's an electrician. He gave me the fear if he came and did any work. <laughs> so I've got two more. One's not actually about East Fife teammates. Might be, but just in general, who would you say is your best friend in football? Oh, um, I only really get time to talk to the gaffer. Nah, um, Stephen Lee, somebody I met at, at Dundee United. Um, he was full-time with their, their uh, reserve team for a while. Um but no, definitely him. Actually, he was, I don't know if you noticed, he was at the, the Cowden and the Rafe Rovers game um, there as well. So he's just, you know, he didn't take much to do with the team or that, but he's just somebody that knows how I work. Um, we, we've got on really well. He used to be the gaffer up at Lockheed as well. Um, so I know probably him, speak to him every day. I think we've only ever seen each other at games um, since I left United, but we, I would probably speak every day. And our, our last thing, everyone wants to know this, in the East Fife dressing room, who's the longest in the shower? They're not allowed to shower anymore. Oh, who would have been the longest in the shower? <laughs> I don't know, I try and avoid them after games. Yeah. <laughs> I especially after the annoyed, uh, In case they've annoyed me. I'll let them shower first and then I'll go in. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thanks so much, Tony. Teammates, we East Fife assistant manager Tony McMinn there, chatting all about his East Fife teammates. We'll have another one or two of those coming up for you real soon. And if any of the players are listening to this and you feel that you've been unjustly tagged by the first two of these, get in touch and we'll get you to share your thoughts on it all as well. Teams are important. We've obviously built a fun little team here at Glory Days of Gold as well. Myself, Lee... Regulars like Doug and Gordon who have been on Fife Fan Zone, the other guys that have been on Fife Fan Zone, one of which includes local musician and a long time he's Fife Fan, Phil Charletta, who as many of you will know, goes under the name PG Charletta as a recording artist. His debut single, The Sesh, reached number eight in the Scottish singles charts, reached number one in the alternative genre UK charts. So he's striking while the iron is hot, bringing out a new single. It came out this week. It's called Chancer. We're all about chances at Glory Days of Gold and at East Fife. So let's let you hear that just now in this week's Have You Heard section. Here's PG Charletta and Chancer. You think you pull the world of a people's eyes. You're plain drunk and you're really 45 steps behind You tell people that we got it wrong Well guess what, time's up and your life's vastly on decline Cause you know 
Five singer-songwriter and long-time East Fife fan, Phil Charletta, with his latest single, Chancer, came out on November 13th. Unlucky for some, but not for Phil, hopefully, it's another cracking song, a very catchy tune. It's available now on all media platforms, so you can get it on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you buy your music. And it's also worth noting that Phil is going to be donating 50% of the proceeds from the single to the We Make Events movement, which for anyone who's not very sure what that is, it was launched back in April once COVID really started to take its toll on the music industry and the live events movement, just to kind of provide some support for everyone that is involved in the, the wider supply chains to events. Because it does feel like it's going to be a long time before we get back to not just, I mean, we've talked about football a lot and people getting there and fans back in attendance, but it's going to be the same at like music venues as well. A couple of shows have gone ahead with very limited people in attendance. So the We Make Events movement 
is just trying to help out everyone that's involved in that. You can find out more details at wemakeevents.com and you can also give them a follow on Twitter at wemakeeventsoff. That's O-F-F for official. You can also give Phil a follow on Twitter at pgcharletta. That's P-G-C-I-A-R-L-E-T-T-A. So support local music just like you support local football. We really look forward to seeing what Phil has in store for the rest of this year and into next year. Definitely a big success story. Always nice to see an East 5 guy doing well. And Phil's had a lot of success there from his debut single. And I'm pretty sure that this follow-up's going to have a lot of success as well. Certainly been generating a lot of buzz. And like I mentioned there, the music industry has been hit really hard by COVID just now. And of course, so has football. You've got a number of footballers maybe struggling to get clubs just now. Money's certainly tight. I mean, I've certainly been reading that in England, there's some clubs in League 1 and League 2 that might be struggling to, to pay wages over the coming weeks and months, which is certainly a worrying, but you have to say not unexpected fallout from the, the current lockdown and all the rules that go with that. And it is uh, an unsettling time for footballers. And we've talked about it on previous shows. I think you're going to get a lot of footballers now, full-time footballers, that are are having maybe second thoughts about what they want to do with their careers. They're looking at the opportunities to maybe drop down to the part-time level, get a good wage in at part-time football, get a career off the ground as well, get another job going and just basically having the best of both worlds. We've seen it with ourselves at East Fife with a couple of players, Danny Swanson being the most latest one of that. He has set up his own business and then taken the drop to part-time level. Chris Higgins is another guy that has a full-time job and when he came to East Fife, we were the the first team that he was playing part-time with after a 16-year in the pro game as a full-time footballer. And Higgy also has a, a job with PFA Scotland. He's the personal development officer there. He's responsible for the training and re-education of footballers throughout Scotland. And this is a subject that I'm very passionate about because I've kind of seen it firsthand over here in Canada and just what the players' union over here does for their players to kind of make sure that they've got the right training in place and the right education in place for when they do hang their boots up. Because the, the life of a footballer is a fleeting one. You're maybe, if you're lucky, going to be playing the game for maybe 15 to 20 years at a, a serious level. But then you've probably got another 25 to 30 years after that where you're, you're going to have to find another line of work. For the lucky ones, that's going to still be involved in the game. Maybe as coaching, managers, administrators, media stuff. But for the vast majority of Scottish footballers... They're going to have to get back into the workplace, get a new job, get a new career. And for many of them, they don't have the education behind them to do that. Now, that is something that Chris Higgins is deeply involved with with PFA Scotland, just to make sure that players are getting the right education, offering training courses just now so they can maybe get a trade behind them, so they can either go part-time and set up their own business, or when they do hang up the boots as a full-time player, get into that trade and set a business up that way. They're also looking at working with various colleges and universities to get some education going, maybe online degrees, part-time degrees, night school, a lot of things like that. 
So it's something that I've spoken to a lot of players and player reps over here about in Canada and in North America. So I wanted to get a chance to sit down with Chris just to chat about his work with PFA Scotland, just his thoughts in general about the the state of Scottish football, the development of young players, because he has also been involved with coaching at academy level with Hearts. So this felt a good week to do that. So I'm going to bring you that just now. So delighted now to be joined by East Fife defender Chris Higgins, who, for those of you that may not know, he is also the personal development officer with PFA Scotland. So we thought we'd get him on the show just to chat a little bit about that role and also just youth development and just some of the coaching stuff that that he's involved with just now. So thank you so much for, for joining us today, Chris. No problem. So I'm really excited to, to talk to you uh, about your involvement with the, the PFA. And so for anyone that doesn't know, explain to us what a personal development officer does with, with PFA Scotland. So my role is to, to just basically help players plan for, a fu- plan for the future and plan for a second career. Um, listen, I think every day, apart from maybe some, a handful of players at the bigger clubs, especially Scottish players will be... I'll be, most players will be preparing for the future at some point um, and they'll have to have another career at some point as well, whether that be when they come to a natural end of their career or it be through injury, which is, is, is the kind of negative side of things. But I think the majority of Scottish footballers will have to plan or, or, or uh, get on the pathway a second career at some point. So that, that my role is to, is to help them prepare for that. Now, it ranges for me. Well, basically, I'm trying. What I'm trying to do is help try and get the younger players into that mindset sooner to try and encourage them, and and probably highlight that it's not a bad thing to do. Um, I mean, certainly when I was 17, 18, if somebody had said to me, "Go and do a course on X, Y, or Z," I probably wouldn't have been interested. So it is, mm-hmm. uh, it is difficult. I understand that players at that age set their their, their sights on making it as high as, they, as possible within football, but I think when you get to the, the, the more senior, um, experienced player age, you start to understand that there, there is going to be come, a, come a time when it comes to an end, you know, so you need to plan for the future. And that, as I said, helping the younger players, but also helping the younger uh, the, the older lads and the more senior players plan for the future. And it's, it's a role that I've, I've experienced that journey myself. So I've, I've been planning for my future since I was about 25, so nine, ten years. So it's something I can relate to the players about um, and try and just push that onto the players, no matter what age they are, to try and get them to think about planning for, planning for a second career. And that might just be the first step is just a discussion with myself mm-hmm. and then thinking about it. And then just it might be a, a long process to get to where you want to be, but it's starting that journey as soon as possible so that when you get to your point where you need to need finish playing through whatever, you are on the, on the right road to, to finding something else to do that you're going to enjoy after you play football because, I mean, you think about if you have a player who retires when they're 35 years old, they're still going to have the best part of 30, 35 years of working, you know? So it's it's, it's a long time to not yeah. be doing something you enjoy. So it's, a, it's something I want to get players into doing 
finding something that they're going to enjoy for the rest of their life and because it means that they can sustain that and then they can build on that throughout their life. How did you get involved in the role then? Was it something that had always interested you? I mean, how, how did it come about? Because I know you've been there since 2019 now. Yeah, so I, I actually applied for the role back in um, 2016, just before I signed for Air United. It was something that I was... Obviously, I was I was in, I'd left Queen of the South at that point, and I was kind of in between clubs, and I was I was just trying to open my options up. And then, I, listen, I came in, Air United came in and, and offered me a contract, two-year contract, and I was happy to sign there. And then we went on and achieved good things and won the league and stuff. Albeit, I got injured, I snapped my Achilles throughout mm-hmm. that point, which was it was was a difficult uh, injury to come back from. But when I think I was after that, I applied for the role. Um, Chief Executive Fraser Wishart asked me to be on the management committee. So there's there's around ten players throughout going through the levels from the Premier League all down the way down to League Two, who are who are basically running the PFA Scotland. They make all the major decisions, um, and I was asked to be on to take a seat on the management committee, which I was I was really privileged to do, and I was really happy to do. I've always been a big supporter of of the union. I've always been a user of um, the the funding and, and and just supporting th- things within PFA Scotland. So I mean, I, as I said earlier, I went through that path of passing career, but I used some of the benefits of being a PFA Scotland member. So I'd, I'd used that and I'd, I'd, I'd became a club rep um, at Air United. So and then I was on the management committee. Then I actually became the vice chairman back in twenty seventeen or eighteen, I think it was. So there was a there was a, there was a kind of there was a management committee then there was a senior senior management committee which was myself and Michael Devlin who were the vice chairman and Liam Craig as the chairman, just so that if there was any decisions that had to be made there was three of us to kind of go to a vote and stuff like that. Um, so when the job came up in 2019, I was aware that the job came up and as well as listen as well as the the rest of the members the email the email was sent out to all the members that the job was available and coming up. So I applied for it. Um, I went through the process of interviews and applications and there was no guarantees because I was in the, involved there was no guarantees of me getting the role um, but I went through the process and I, I was lucky enough to get to, to be accepted and get asked to go for the, the job you know so it was a, I was really delighted um, to get asked to do the job because it's something that again as I said I, I was passionate about but I'd also been on the path of myself so I could relate to players and I think that's maybe what Fraser seen within himself. Fraser and Tony Tony Higgins, they seen that. I'd been through that journey myself, and and my experience and and my qualifications as well. I'd 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 been studying a, a degree at the time um, in developing athletes, and just my my general experience within football and and out with football helping players, and and maybe because I was more of a leader within teams, I was a captain and stuff. I could try and help players. So yeah, that's basically the journey from from being a player to where I am now. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole union side of football, it, it fascinates me. I've spoken to a lot of the guys over here about it. So in, in MLS, there's the MLS Players Union, and they've been very heavily involved with stuff this year to do with COVID and just, like, their agreements and collective bargaining and everything like that. But then last year in Canada, the Canadian Premier League set up, and they didn't have a players' union. So this year, a number of the senior players tried to get that started and the league so far has refused to recognise them. 
So they might end up having to go to court for it and stuff like that. So, I mean, you've been involved in the game, I think this is your 18th like year in the pros. How important is it for players to, to have a, a union representing them? I think it's vital. I mean, I, I, I think I joined when uh, PFA Scott were part of the GMB. I mean, this was when I was a kid. This was when I first mm. joined Motherwell, you know, and I can't even remember signing up to it. You know, that, that's just something that, that 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 was that that I'd done. I can't, as I said, I can't remember even doing it. But I mean, I think I've I've used some of the benefits of being a member of the union over the years, and, and that's we use maybe uh, education grants for for helping me fund my courses and what what studies that I'm doing. But that's just one of the many benefits. Um, I've been lucky enough not to to suffer any real contractual issues or anything like that. And that's one of the major benefits is if you've got any contract issues, then you can use that side of it to try and help you get a result for for, for you as a player. And listen, it's, it's, a, it's a process that, that some players need to go through. It's just the way football is. But um, it's certainly something that you need probably just to back you up in case you do need to, do need to go through that. And listen, touch you and hopefully nobody needs to go through it. But that's just, as I say, that's part of football. It's going to happen at times. Um, and it's something that the, the union can help you with. Yeah, definitely. Looking at at your role uh, on the website, I, I know it kind of you falls into education. It falls into also like retraining for trades and stuff like that. Now, the education aspect of it, seeing things over here, a lot of guys go to college and then they have their football careers, but in Scotland. The, I know guys just, they want to be a footballer, so the education maybe goes by by the wayside a little bit. I mean, it's still the same here. There's a lot of younger guys that just go straight into the pros, but what the clubs seem to be doing here is they seem to be working a lot with local universities and colleges so they can do online learning and still get degrees and get their education. Is is that kind of something that, that your role is doing as well? Like, Are you working with like educational establishments in Scotland to to try and get anything like that set up on a, a national basis? Well, I think, firstly, I think the way that America and Canada does it is fantastic. Um, it's just a different, a totally different world. It's an institution. Mm. It's it's in the culture. Is, it's, all, it's all of that, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's big business within universities and stuff and, and colleges within America and Canada, you know. it's But I think that comes with the size of the country and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and that's been put in place through before football was there. Basically, it was it was put through all the other sports, and you, you go to college, you get an education. You also you're, you're talented at what you do in terms of your sport, um, and but you also make make sure that you're you're sticking in with your your studies, you know. And that's culturally that's just the way it is in in the US and, and Canada. And that, listen, I would love that if it was something like that in, in Scotland, but in the UK in particular, I mean, not even just Scotland, but that's just fundamentally where where the US and Canada are at. You know, it's just it's just a different way of doing things. We're kind of flipped round. Players will go to school and then they'll leave school. They'll go, hopefully go into a full-time football environment. They'll learn their trade that way. And then they kind of need to do things within their football career to plan for the future, you know. So, listen, we're, I'm, we're always... I'm always looking for different courses and we at PFA Scotland are always looking to try and help players as much as they can. Sometimes it's down to the player to, to get a hold of me, but I'm trying to create more 
positive success stories of players that are that are they are on that pathway and are studying to try and highlight, the, as I said, the positive stories and I'll just maybe players will relate to it and go, no, what? Well, if he can do it, maybe I'll do it, you know, or if, if she can do it, maybe I'll do it, you know. So it's just trying to, we're trying to promote that side of it so that it, it then reduces the stigma maybe we attached with education and plan ahead. Because a lot of players will think it's going to take away the, the, the focus of football and that's 100% not, not the case, you know. I mean, there's been various and studies that's been done and one that we would got involved or never got involved with but one that I spoke to a, 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 a professor David Lavalley who works at Aberte University up in Dundee um, he'd done a study across Australian Rugby League and it was the study was based on finding out if planning for a, your future or studying alongside your sport actually helped your performance and what came out of that was that at the very worst, it was neutral. It never done it, and it, it was it was different. Never had any sort of negative impact in your performance. But in some cases, it did enhance performance because maybe you're 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 relaxed a little bit. You're thinking about other things. You're not just totally focused on one thing, you know. And that can that can allow you to relax more. So it's trying to highlight these things. Again, it's not easy because sometimes players can think it will take away from the sport. But we're trying to kind of reduce that stigma and try and promote the success stories so that players will sit up and go, well, if, if there's a, a player that can do it, maybe I'll do it. And that's basically what we're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, the cultural thing, it, I mean, I've noticed it. I've been here since 2007 now. And it's like, you notice it when I when I interview the guys, the the white cap sign here that have come out of the draft. And it's, it, it's so different. Also, a lot of the clubs here, like at academy level, those young guys get so much training. They get media training as to how to deal with media and do interviews. But they also get like educational training and veering them towards this. They get financial planning to make sure that they know exactly what's gonna they need to do in saving and stuff like that. And it's just something I feel that we've been so way behind in Scotland with. And I think a part of it is like when you're younger, you don't think about things like that. You're like, oh, I'm gonna be a footballer. I know I can make it, but there's so many players that fall by the wayside and like in current times, I, I know like when you were with Infermlin, you were one of the players that kind of got hit with the financial crunch and you got you got let go after the Pars had won the title. Now, 10 years later, there's going to be a lot of clubs that maybe at the end of this season say we can't have full-time football. So there's going to be a lot of guys looking for that. Have you found there's been a lot more interest from players now in getting retraining just because they are very worried as to, to what the future might be? Well, certainly when lockdown hit, there was a there was a, an influx of players getting in touch. And I, I was also getting mis- getting what I do out there as well. I would be able to try to promote different things and, and and putting courses on for players just to protect, just to support the players. But the players that were getting in touch with me ranged from, <clears throat> excuse me, range from players that were just looking to stay busy within during lockdown because they were stuck in the house. But then there was also players that were looking to actually focus on what they're doing next. And it wasn't it wasn't I'm desperate for a job or a, or a real a, a real panic. It was just more of players having an opportunity to think about something else, not doing anything within their sport, not playing football, not training regularly, and looking to stay busy and they had time to think about other things. And perhaps because we were we were promoting courses and we were trying to, I, was, I mean, I was very proactive in trying to help players. We were, we were putting out regular regular updates on 
educational stuff, free courses, free online courses, potential employment if needed. Um, and we had um, our first ever transition month in July, which was just involved webinars, involved different courses um, that players could get involved with throughout July now. <clears throat> Obviously in July and usual times, that's pre-season time, but yeah. and this year it was very different. So we got decent engagement with that. So that would be something that we look to do again. And again, we, from my point of view as personal development officer, I want to maintain that engagement with players to try and keep up the, the engagement with players looking to looking to think think ahead. And I mean, we'll be we'll be doing other courses in January, because that's usually a time where players start thinking about the future as well. Because January is when you get to the new year, and then players' contracts are up in the summer. So it's just we're just trying to. Well, from my point of view personally, I'm trying to help players on that and, and education and employment side and prepare for the future. But as a union, there's many facets that we're trying try to cover and help players. Yeah, we, we've had some interesting chats like Darren Young was on our show and Gary Naismith and Danny Swanson as well. So, I mean, Danny's a, a good example. He's a guy that's always been full-time, gone part-time because he's got a, a business lined up. But... Like Darren and Gary said, they feel that's maybe going to be the future for a lot of guys if they can get a good deal at part-time level. I know this, when you came to East 5, that was the first time you'd been part-time in your career. But if you can get a career going with that and get still play football and get a good wage at part-time, that's going to be better and it's going to be more stable than maybe full-time football. Do you see that being the way that Scottish football might be going in the next couple of years? Yeah, well... I mean, especially through COVID, that we clubs will be cutting their budgets and cutting their wages, even at full time, full time level. You know, so it can be very difficult for players to bite the bullet and 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 go part time. I mean, I was lucky enough that I decided I actually decided to go part time before I got um, employed by PFA Scotland. I had an opportunity to to stay full time, and I mean, I was I think I was thirty three at that point, and I was talking to my partner and we, and we discussed it and I was thinking, well, I'd apply for a couple of jobs that I wanted. It wasn't a job that I just thought, I'm going to just get this job to tie me over. It was, a, it was two jobs that I wanted um, just to cover my bases um, and not put, put all my eggs in one basket. I decided to go for two roles and, I, and, I, and I, with that full-time club came in, I thought, well, in a year's time, I could be back, back in this position and the jobs aren't there that I want. So I decided to sign for each five, and I, and I was really and when I got offered the job with PFA Scotland, it tied in really well because it was a job I wanted. That's that's basically was something that really helped me was the fact that I got a job I wanted. I got playing how, uh, where I wanted. I, I mean, I'm, I'm delighted to play with each five, and I'm really enjoying it. And last season was one of the most enjoyable seasons I've had in a long time, um, perhaps because uh, a few things. I was enjoying my job. The team was doing well. Personally, I felt I was performing well. Mm-hmm. After I was coming back from an injury, I was out. With, I was out with injury for for ten months um, through snapping my Achilles, which was a real tough one. And it, I tried to look after myself and give myself the best opportunity to come back at a high level because, in my age, I'm sure I was I was training like mad. I was looking after what I was doing. But when I came back, I, I, I was I was back playing. And probably perhaps when I came on loan to East Fife, I was just getting myself up to speed and I never performed what I knew I was capable of. And I was I was starting to not enjoy it a wee bit because 
I think in my mind I thought, right, I'm I'm better than this, mm. but I wasn't performing at the levels I knew I was capable of. But as I said last season, I got the pre-season under my belt, I got a job that I wanted, I was happy in my environment and my life, and I really enjoyed the football season. And that made me think, right, I'm going to keep playing as long as I can here. And I've said to a few players, I've enjoyed playing, really enjoyed playing part-time. I didn't think I would, and that's the honest truth. I didn't think I would enjoy it, but I really have enjoyed it. And I think it's partly down to me enjoying my job and the whole life environment is, is something that I'm really enjoying. Have, has it been a bit of a, a, a struggle or like, I mean, obviously you've got a family, you mentioned that, that your wife's pregnant just now, so you've got like those things at home, but then you're also playing part-time, you've got a full-time job with the PFA, you're also coaching at Hearts. How do you fit all that in to, to a week? Well, funny you say that. I mean, it was, it's not, I, I, I've just, that earlier this year, I stopped working with Hearts. Basically oh, be, okay. Basically because I was too busy. I mean, it was, I was at Hearts for four years through mm. the academy and loved it, absolutely loved it. Learned a lot. Hearts were very good to me as a, as a, as a young coach. Helped me with, with, with courses and helped me with my studies. Um and even as a as a as a, a club in the academy, they're fantastic and they really want to help their coaches improve, which then helps their young players improve. You know, that's it's a, a kind of domino effect. If you get better coaches and you're improving your coaches, you're hoping it's going to improve the, the young academy players in there to then be going the first team. I mean, last night, we obviously played hearts last night. This is when you know you're getting old, by the way. There was one of the one of the young players that's made his debut that I coached at under fifteen level for oh, <laughs> so uh, it was a, it was it was strange when I seen him on the team lines, but it, that wasn't that's that's great to see him in the first team. But I did find it. I thought, and it's partly maybe because I wasn't enjoying it to start with. Before before I signed mm. permanently with Fife, I thought right, I'll do all this, and I'm maybe going to coaching a little bit more when I retire. But when starting last season, I was enjoying it, loving it, loving my football, and that, and I was. I think more I was enjoying it because I was I was playing well, I was performing well, and that and that gave me the, the real hunger to continue playing as long as I could. And then I knew something I had to give because I was really busy. I was non-stop, yeah. seven days a week. And I was wanting to commit everything to my, my playing side of what to commit everything to my job and everything to the coaching side of it. And something I, I just couldn't do everything. So I was really I wanted to I wanted to to leave hearts and I and a and a good and a good uh, foot, you know, because as I said, they were really good to me, and I want to keep the relationship very good and potentially something in the future. You never know. Um, so it was just something that I thought, right? I, I need to something needs to needs to go here, and and just it was just the way the way things were. And I think I want, because I want to play as long as I can. The coaching side of it had to go, but still got a real passion for coaching. Still constantly writing things down I've got a photo and my notes are full of drills and full of different ideas that I've done but again I'm really enjoying my job so you never know what will happen yeah when we get you back on to delve into your career we'll ask you like what your future might entail and stuff like that like you've obviously got a passion for youth development because that's why you were involved with, with the academy and stuff at, at hearts it's another aspect of the game that I feel in Scotland we've kind of lagged behind in and then I see what they're doing with academies over here. Like the, the White Caps have a residency programme and they have pre-residency that starts from kids before the age of 11. And then they've got age groups 11, 12, 13, 14, all the way up. And it's like, you're, you're seeing that. 
And there's some great success stories. Alfonso Davies, that's at Bayern Munich. I saw him play as a 15-year-old in the Whitecaps Academy. And then you see him, what he's doing now. And in Scotland, we just seem to be lagging behind. I know there's some good initiatives out there, like box soccer is a, is a big thing. And futsal here is something that I think we should maybe do maybe a bit more of in Scotland just to get some of the, the actual skills. If you were given the keys to the, the game in Scotland, what would you do differently to bring the development up a little bit? That's some question, that. I know. <laughs> I think, listen, I think the difference is the funding. The funding that probably goes in over in America and Canada is is huge. You know, it's these are franchises that have got hundreds and hundreds of millions and the, the setup yeah. over there is fantastic. Um, I mean, there's there's tens of millions put into training academies and first-team academies and stadiums and that's, that's maybe partly down to it. Um, as I said at Hearts it was a great experience as a club they, they really looked after me as a coach and they look after all the coaches help them improve and and then that they're hoping that that helps the players you know and that's through the whole academy for under 10s 11s all the way through to under 18s which is a full time I was with under 16s for three years um, so I was kind of the last point of the academy before the kids went in full time um, and as I said earlier one of them played last night against against us, and it was it was it was actually I think it was three on the bench as well. So it was it was great to see, and I, I think as a club, the Hearts will reap the benefits of that if they try and introduce their young players. And I think they've got a good manager to do that, a young a young, a young manager, mm. and Robbie Robbie Nielsen to um, to promote young players because I think that's what he will do as well as try to win a league. So it's a finely balanced art, you know, um, but. It's it's that's the million dollar question. It's it's something that's very very difficult. You need you need the funds to put real uh, setups. I mean, it, and I mean, as I, I'll go back to Hearts because I've experienced there players that then go into a full time environment will be put up in digs that are staying maybe an hour or two away, so they're prepared. They can they maybe stay in digs that are maybe ten minutes away. They can get to train. They're, they're prepared. They're relaxed. They're not having to travel two hours to get to train every morning and two hours home. So they're putting they're putting uh, significant funding into that as a club, and that's great to see. For another point of view, Hearts are also doing their own thing and they're helping the players with, with education as yeah. an environment as well. I think the, I think the young lads who are just been in full time are doing a course through Napier University. Um, which is great. I mean, the club are also putting money into that as well. So they're, they're trying to do things properly. I think more and more clubs are doing that again, but it's all down to money. It's all down to money. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a lot has to do with funding, Michael, and it's it's really difficult. It's really difficult. And I think it's because it's a small country as well. I mean, I know you'll go back to, the, like, say, comparative countries like Iceland and, and Belgium and things like that, but you're hoping that in the next five years or so, you see the benefits of things like Project Brave and the, and the performance schools and stuff like that, and, and then also what, what clubs are doing in their academies. You hopefully see the benefits of that in the years to come, starting tomorrow night against uh, Serbia. You know, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think hopefully we'll. See, I mean, I think the performance schools have been going for five or six years now. I'm not entirely sure, but it's going to take a little while. But you're hoping to see the benefits of that in the years to come and. And, and as a country, we want to move forward, get to major major tournaments because that also helps um, 
the likes of performance schools and and, and the academies across the country. Finally, like Hearts have got it right, I I feel, and also they've got now Gordon Forrest there as the assistant who I know really well. He was over here for a while, and he was the bridge between the Whitecaps first team and the academy, and he was working in the academy here for a while. So he's going to bring lots of good things there. Just last thing for tonight, do do you feel confident about the the future of Scottish football? Not just youth wise, but also like guys getting the education and retrain. Do you, do you think things are going in the right direction. I know a lot is going to de- depend on funding and things might be a bit up in the air just now, but do you think we are making the strides we need to make? Definitely. I mean, I think I think even the last few months and on, on the pitch with Scotland as a country, you see what's happened. Is a, we've gained a bit of momentum. We've gained a bit of confidence. Tomorrow night, let's wait and see. Hopefully, we're we're, we're getting a positive out uh, scoreline and we're in a, a tournament for the first time in over twenty years. I mean, I can remember the last one. I was only thirteen, nineteen ninety eight, yeah. and you're thinking, "Goodness me, it's it's so long ago." But on the pitch, I think the country are moving forward, um, and ho- hopefully, that's just this, the cherry in the cake tomorrow. But I mean, I think from my point of view within PFA Scotland, I think things are improving. But I think between five and ten years ago. There's a lot more out there in terms of um, things being highlighted and courses out there, and I'm just trying to I'm just trying to keep that momentum going um, to help players. You're never going to force MD to do anything, but the more and more we promote those positive stories, like I said earlier, the players that are doing education courses, looking at other things across across their life and career, we're hoping that it clicks with more more people and more players whether they be 33 or whether it be 18, you know, and I think it's, it's, uh, from my point of view, the, the sooner that message gets into somebody's mind, the better. If they're really young, they can start on that, that journey um, when they're young and when they get to a point where they stop playing football, they're already set and they're already clear on what they've done and what they're going to do. Um, so I think from that point of view, we are getting there. There's still a long way to go. I still want to, keep, as I said, maintain engagement with with what we've done throughout uh, the last seven or eight months through COVID and lockdown, but we're get, we're gaining that momentum, and I, and I I just look at what I mean. I keep a, a, a kind of record of who I speak to and what I've spoken to over the last few months, and it it's, it makes for good reading, and mm. I, I want to continue that. I really want to continue that, and I think by what we're doing, we're being active. We're being actively out there. We're speaking to the players. I've got a, a, I speak to. Uh, players regularly just touching base with them asking them how they're, how they're getting on um, if they need any help and um, how, their, how their course is going just to keep that engagement see if they need any help any assistance just to, as I said just to maintain that engagement and let them know that we're here and we're here to support That's superb thank you so much for your time tonight Chris like I said we'll get you back on and we'll kind of delve through your, your career and stuff but th- Thanks for joining us. Take care and we'll we'll talk to you soon. East Fife Defender and PFA Scotland Personal Development Officer Chris Higgins there. Hope you enjoyed that chat with him. I find it very interesting because... As I mentioned in the precursor to to playing that, it's just an interest of the game that really fascinates me, the union side of it. 
and it's a very important part of the of the game just to make sure that these guys are best prepared for what lies in store for them after football and for some of them whilst they are still playing and that is from an educational point of view from a working point of view but also from a financial point of view just making sure that they they're getting financial advice and they know that when they do hang the boots up that they've got pensions in place and just investments and everything like that as well because we've all heard the, the sad stories about footballers that have had to maybe sell their medals or their trophies or their jerseys or have found themselves kind of in real financial trouble as they get older and I know the game was very different back in the day and money wasn't the same, money wasn't floating about. Now the money is everywhere and just kind of hope that players are a bit more sensible with it and just use their head and invest wisely but also get themselves prepared for when they do hang up the boots so they've got another career at their disposal. Chris doing a great job there. As I mentioned, we'll get Chris back on the show again soon just to, to do a kind of career retrospective with him because he's had some some interesting moments during his career as well and we'll chat about his time at East Fife so far. But from a guy that is only in his third season at East Fife and only his second full season, let's go back to a guy that we previously spoke to on the show, spent a number of seasons at East Fife was a cult hero for many around Lee's age back in the day. That is former East Fife striker Barry Muffett. Hope you enjoyed our chat with him a few weeks ago. Of course, the burning question many of you will have had by the end of that interview was, does Barry Muffett fancy a chocolate digestive? Well, let's find out, shall we? So you're sitting at home, Barry, and you decide to have a hot beverage. What would be your hot beverage of choice? A tea, a coffee, hot chocolate, something else? I actually, believe it or not, I didn't drink tea, coffee or anything hot. If I was going to have any hot, it would probably be a hot diluted orange. Ah, that takes me back to my childhood. Yeah, I just, I didn't do Bovril, I didn't do tea, coffee, nothing. I don't like it. I don't like anything hot, to be honest with you. I see diluted hot orange just takes me back. My grand I used to live opposite our primary school in Glenrothes Tans Hall and my granddad met me every break with a cup of hot diluted orange. Oh that sometimes uh, if I've come in and I'm really, really cold, I'll have a hot orange, but it's very few and far between. Do you, do you have a sweet tooth then? Are you a biscuit fan? No really not. Nah, I'm no big on biscuits. Um <laughs> probably the only thing sweet that I would really go for would be a cheesecake. Oh. But other than that, I'm no, I'm no really, I've no, I've kind of not had chocolate for Marco Gunn, you know, I've not had chocolate for about uh, four or five years. I just stopped eating chocolate. I couldn't be bored with um, it. So, but I'll, give me a cheesecake and I'll take it. I just had some chocolate before we started recording, so I can't really. Then, I used to eat Yorkies all the time, but I managed to stop all that, carry on. <laughs> Full athlete status still after the retirement. Then, yeah, it's for me now. God. Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Baby, 
Barry Muffet there, not fancying a chocolate digestive, not fancying a tea or coffee either, diluted orange for him, but he does like a little bit of chocolate, so that's not too bad. And of course, Barry was with East Fife in the late 90s, into the, the turn of the millennium, made history by becoming the, the first East Fife player and the first player to score a goal at the new stadium, Bayview Stadium. A player to have played at Old Bayview Park and at Bayview Stadium, joined East Fife in 1997, meaning that the last time that Scotland reached a major tournament in 1998, Barry was at East Fife. And of course, that brings us very nicely onto talking about the big Scottish football story of the week. Yes, Scotland are back on the international stage, back at a major tournament for what will be the first time in 23 years by the time it hopefully takes place next summer. Hopefully things have calmed down enough to let that tournament go ahead. You feel it's going to, it well, go ahead. It, even if it's under some kind of bubble environment, Euros 20 stroke 21 is going to go ahead. Whether it gets played over all the different countries and venues, as was expected, that is a whole other matter. I do think the best chance of it going ahead might be in a bubble environment, like they had over here for Major League Soccer in the summer. That worked perfectly with no positive tests once everything got underway. So we'll see what happens. It's still a long, long way away. We don't want to worry about that. All we care about is Scotland beat Serbia on penalties on Thursday and they're going to the Euros, baby. It's been a long 23 years away. 25 years since they were last at the Euros in 1996. Those games, of course, took place in England and Scotland now find themselves in England's group and will be playing games in England. We'll come to that shortly. And what an emotional night it was on Thursday. I think for Scottish fans all over the world, it just meant so much to everyone. I know guys that I know here and just folk I regularly chat to on Twitter and on Facebook. Just so emotional many grown men in tears it's just it's terrible so many of us kind of felt we might never see this moment again as crazy as that sounds and there's a whole generation that has grown up not experiencing Scotland at a major tournament not seeing them at a world cup not seeing them at the Euros when I was growing up it's like you feel spoiled now Scotland made six out of seven World Cups when I was growing up and you just expected Scotland to be there and it's certainly changed days. Hopefully this win will make it change days again but it's just absolutely crazy to think that it will have been 23 years before we have been at a major tournament. I mean if we look back to the last time Scotland were at one of these, the 1998 World Cup in France we spoke about Barry Muffet being an East Fife player during that time. I had a little delve back into the archives just to kind of see what was happening in Scottish football at that time. So Celtic were champions at the end of the 97-98 season, just before the 98 World Cup. Dethroning Rangers and interestingly stopping them from getting 10 in a row. Now the next time Scotland at a major finals... 
Is it going to be Rangers that finish the season as champions, stopping Celtic getting to 10 in a row? That's kind of a very spooky kind of coincidence there. From an East 5 point of view, we were in Scottish League 2, the third tier. We finished 6th, 12 points off promotion, 8 points off relegation. Stevie Kirk was the manager, having taken over from Jimmy Bone. Top scorer for East Fife was Matty Dyer, 11 goals that season. And one of the teams that actually got promoted from Scottish League 2 that, that year were Clyde Bank. Now, there's going to be people listening to this show that are like, Clyde Bank were a, a league team? I, I didn't know that. Because that's how long ago it was. Of course, I think, what, four or five seasons later, Airdrie bought Clyde Bank, basically making them go bust. They've then set up as a junior team and they're one of those kind of Phoenix clubs that I really would love to see back in the Scottish League again someday. They, they really deserve it. Only got a chance to go to Kilbowie a couple of times, but I mean, yeah, just terrible that anything can happen to, to a club like that. But that was what was happening back in 98. Clyde Bank were getting promoted. East Fife were mid-table. I had a little look at the Scotland World Cup squad from 1998. Craig Brown was the manager, but in that squad was a former East Fife player, Gordon Jury. So keeping things alive there. And of course, the last time Scotland were at the Euros was back in 96. And they had that famous game against England, the famous Gaza goal with a celebration, Gary McAllister's miss... Did the famous spoonbender Yuri Geller make the ball move before he took the kick? All that kind of nonsense. For anyone that doesn't know what I'm talking about, Google that. I'm not even going to go into that just now. But Scotland had found themselves in England's group for that tournament. And once again, having qualified against Serbia, they're going to be in England's group. Along with the Czech Republic, who we have beaten already this year. And Croatia, which is certainly going to be a tough task. Certainly a, a tough group. But Scotland just now, I mean, doing fantastic stuff. Let us know where you were watching that game. We want to hear from you. Get in touch on Twitter at Glory Days of Gold or send us an email, glorydaysofgold at gmail.com. Let us know as well what that moment meant to you. And we'll talk a little bit more about it on next week's show and in next week's fan zone as well. It was just... It was just an amazing game. I wasn't able to watch it live. Unfortunately, I was working and I couldn't get away. So I managed to take an extended lunch, fast forwarded through the first half and then was watching the second. Scotland took the lead. Great goal as well from Ryan Christie and well deserved. I mean, I thought we were the better team at that point. We deserved to go ahead. And then I'm sure you're all the same. The nerves just took over. And I thought, I, I can't just sit and just watch this second half play out. So I fast-forwarded it on the PVR just as slow as possible so that I wasn't really missing too much of the action. And then it got to the last 10 minutes and I thought, right, I've still got time in my lunch. I'm going to watch this play out. Sitting watching it. And then when that equaliser went in, just feeling the emotion suck out of you. Just brought back all those horrific moments of Dundee United scoring in the Scottish Cup against us at Bayview with that goal seven minutes into stoppage time. This one was not as late. You kind of felt it was coming. Serbia had kind of turned it up a little bit. 
But then you thought we'd ridden the storm and it was a well-taken goal. A great header, gave Marshall no chance. And at that point, I felt that was it. I thought Serbia was the only team that was maybe going to go ahead and do it now. Very nervy extra time. Had to fast forward through a bit of that because I hoped, if anything, it was going to go to penalties. I didn't want us to lose an extra time. I took the risk that nothing was going to happen in extra time and it didn't. So I got to sit and watch the penalties before I went back to work. And boy, the scream I let out when David Marshall saved that penalty. My throat was sore for a couple of days. Still hasn't fully recovered. You might even be able to hear it as we record this. But wow, what a moment. What a save. David Marshall going down in Scottish folklore. And just a remarkable moment. It's certainly moment of the year. Over at AFTN, we kind of do our end-of-season awards on the Canadian site where we give a hero of the year, both from a Whitecaps perspective and then from a global perspective. So that's come just in time for me to give David Marshall that when we do it on this week's show. So let us know how you celebrated. Uh, Downed a few bottles of beer, opened some champagne. Maybe you, you treated yourself to a celebratory chippy. I know I did over here. It was a lot earlier for me in the day, though, of course, to be able to do that. If you went to the chippy, what would you have on it? Let's find out what former East Fife and Hibernian player and current TV pundit Tam McManus would have. I'm on that and I bag your chips. Oh, Ricky. sauce with it. I'm on that and I bag your chips. Oh, Ricky. sauce with it. So you're in the chippy and you're having a, a cheeky wee bag of chips. Do you have salt? Salt and vinegar or salt and sauce? Oh, salt and vinegar. But I tell you what, I did when I was at through the Hibs. I used to get slaughtered when we were in for a chippy. And asked for salt and vinegar. We were not happy. Salt and vinegar through there. Aye. That's a big Edinburgh thing. I threw in the yeast into it. Aye. Salt See, I'm sauce. salt and vinegar as well. But my my Aye. mum's from Glasgow, so I probably got that from her. Aye. Salt and vinegar and brown every time. Got to be. Got to be. Sam McManus there, talking fish and chips. There's certainly an east-west divide in Scotland. Although I'm an Eastie, I like the West Coast option. It's always vinegar for me. Don't mind a little bit of chip shop sauce at times. But if it's just a bag of chips, salt and vinegar, all the way. Let us know what you would pick. Times change though. Hopefully, heralding the start of a new era for Scottish football. There's some exciting young players coming through. Under Steve Clark, it might not be the most attractive football in the world, but it's getting the job done. And ultimately, that's just what you want. I would be happy grinding out 1-0 wins if it gets us to major tournaments. I really don't care if it's enjoyable or exciting to watch. That never matters to me. It's just about the end result that, that's important. Are we creating a whole new squad of players that are going to be looked at in maybe 15 or 20 years' time as as great Scottish players. I mean, you look back in the day and you you think, oh, let's name some top Scottish players, and you've got, like, Kenny Dalgleish, Dennis Law, Billy Bremner, 
just a whole host of them when I was growing up and watching them. And we've had a few former Scottish internationals also pull on the black and gold jersey over the years. A couple of East Fife managers being uh, a couple of the the bigger name ones in more recent times, Steve Archibald in the 90s and of course Gary Naismith. And a, a lot of our younger listeners probably won't even know this, but you may have heard of Rangers legend Willie Johnston. Everything that went down with Willie at the 1978 World Cup in Argentina, where he got sent home for a failed drugs test. But how many of you actually know or remember or saw that he actually played four games for East Fife in the 80s under Davy Clark? Willie ran a, a bar in Kirkcaldy for a long time. Davy went in and, and spoke to him and said, how, how do you fancy helping me out at the end of the season for a couple of games? And... Willie was like, yeah, sure. So we got to see Willie Johnston as an East Fife player, which also makes Willie Johnston the only player so far to have played for both East Fife and Vancouver Whitecaps. That's a kind of trivia question I like to bring up to folk here that are fed up with me talking about East Fife all the time. But as well as being a Rangers legend and a Scotland legend, he spent time at West Brom as well. He's also a legend over here in Vancouver won the 1979 Soccer Bowl, and he left behind him just so many wild tales. I'll I'll just share a couple of them with you just now. Two of his most famous ones. He was down at a game in San Jose. He was away to take a corner kick. A Scottish San Jose fan in the crowd said, do you fancy a beer? Well, he's like, sure. Down the beer, took the corner, Whitecaps headed at home. So that that's on YouTube, you can check that out. So that's an iconic moment in Whitecaps NESL history. And then there was another game in Seattle where he got into it with Bruce Rioch, former Scotland captain who he hated, and he actually mooned him down at a game in Seattle. And there was a lot of sort of brawls, there's a famous brawl with the New York Cosmos and just tons of stuff like that. Now, Willie's been back over to Vancouver a couple of times in recent years and I've had the pleasure of being able to sit down and chat to him. So I thought, since we've got a bit of a a quieter show tonight, I'm going to bring you a bonus interview. From the AFTN vaults, I've kind of spliced together the two chats that I've had with Willie Johnston over the years. I've also taken a couple of the questions out that really won't be of much interest to to East Fife fans listening to this. But we do touch on East Fife a couple of times during the interview. Sadly, I don't have the bit where I'm talking about Davey speaking to him in the pub and and bringing him to Bayview to begin with. I'd cut that out of our show when we aired it here and I don't seem to have kept that footage. But I thought, hey... We're talking about Scotland, we're talking about Scotland heroes, Willie Johnson is certainly one of that, a great player as well, he's one of the best footballers to ever come out of Fife, and it was genuinely a pleasure to have a chance to chat with him. So was that, was that the last team you played for, was that East Fife? No, I played with Falkirk Reserves, oh, right, after I went that. as a coach to Falkirk with Clarkey. But I was only taking the reserve team. I had nothing to do with the first team. And uh, I played. I played at Clyde Bank one night and this boy nailed me. Big gorilla. Even the referee felt sorry for <laughs> And I had a bad reputation, as you know. Yeah. But uh, that was the end. I was 42 and I stopped. That was it. I, was, I, I didn't play. So talking about your reputation then, it's like... I, 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 I. You, you were always known as a hard player. 
But when you watch the game now, how do you think you would cope in the game nowadays? Oh, the game's easier now. A lot easier. But what about yeah. the tough tackling? Because like any tackle, oh, it's like bit, you're off. You oh, can't... You can't oh, you're, you're more protected now than ever. Well, back in England or Scotland, they're more protected now than ever than when, when we played yeah. 30, 40 years ago. It's easier. Yeah. You had a lot of sending off though in your career. Do you think you'd have a lot more if you were playing these days? No, I don't. No, I don't. I'm not, the sending offs I had was retaliation yeah. because some big boy was going to break your legs <laughs> in, the, in the tunnel. Never mind on the park. But uh, I, no, I, I think they're more and more protected now. Yeah. The referees are better. And, uh, the, player, the players, no, they're, they're, they are more protected. When you look back on your whole career, Willie, how do you see the, the Vancouver sort of chapter and that? What do, what do you think? Oh, I loved it. I had a great time here. Honestly, I was here uh, two seasons, and uh, the, the the players uh, uh, played with me: Alan Ball, Kevin Hector, Trevor Weimar, Carl Valentine, Bobby Leonard, Doozy, Bob Blythe, Bozzy Parsons. Uh, they were all great lads. We honestly, we had a good team, but we bonded well. And pubs. Where <laughs> 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 team talks was in pubs, <laughs> or on a flight back for Dallas or wherever we were, in the back row there. But Vancouver, I love. I, I was close to staying in Vancouver. Really? Honest, right, right, honest, right, God, I was that away for staying. But I was going to. But what was getting to me was the flying. Yeah. The, when you went on the road and you were flying. But every time I come back, I was drunk. I was reading in your autobiography, there's a story when you came back the second time, Bruce Grobelar had to wheel you off the plane uh, just to wheel you. Yeah, uh, but they said I was injured, though, wasn't I? I was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Alan Ball. But no, honest, we had a great time in Vancouver. And when we won the soccer ball, the crowd here was unbelievable. It was fantastic, it was, honestly. And uh, a lot of great memories for me here. Yeah. What, what's your overlasting memory of that season in '79 when, when you won the soccer ball? Apart from like lifting the trophy at the end of it, what do you remember just about the whole build-up, all the games, the crowds? Oh, it was it was brilliant. The atmosphere, the the, the when we went to the playoffs, and Tony Waiter says we got beaten one game. I can't remember if it was Dallas or someplace, but we got beaten. He says no other teams ever. It was Los Angeles, I think. No other teams ever came back to losing the first game. We we beat them, and we beat the Cosmos and uh, Derek Posse when he chipped the the, the in the shootout thing, and uh, that was a great night. And then we went back to New York and uh, Tampa. We beat Tampa, and that was a fantastic night. But as I say, it was the fans. It was great for the fans, and and they made it when we came back here. It was. 200, 250,000 people waiting for us and it was absolutely fantastic What were you guys expecting when you came back? Did you think there would be no, we were, big folk No, no, that? no, we, me and myself Roger Kenyon, we, I moved in with him my wife had went back to Britain and uh, I moved in with Roger and we, we, that was our season finished and me and Roger were just going to have a couple of quiet nights on the town as they say but uh, when we came back it was unbelievable we couldn't go anywhere in the town, without people buying you a drink or whatever they've done for you. It was, honestly, it was amazing. You're obviously re- remembered fondly for the way you played and, and the victory, really, but the, the, the swig of beer 
Are, are you surprised? Are you, are you oh, aware I, of you, no, how, how no, much of no. kind of Whitecaps uh, wore on, Honestly, that, that, that's the first time I've seen that ever. Yeah. And uh, it was San Jose. It was doing a San yeah. Jose. And I, I remember it. I went to take the corner and, I, and this wee boy shouted, he was a Scottish boy. And he says, you want a drink, will I? I said, I love a drink. And I took it and it was warm. I went, oh, I gave him a back and then I turned the corner and Peter Daniel scored and that was it. But I was just thinking, they were all shouting for me to take the corner but I was taking the ball and <laughs> it, was, it was warm, you know, but the beer was warmer. But I, I didn't realise it was going to be like that, you know. The, the, like, there's so many stories that folk love to tell about you. Ah, of yeah, course, yeah. there's the one in Seattle where you moon Bruce Rio. Ah, I've done that here. I got fined $2,000 for yeah. that. Ah. That was a good one. Did you and Bruce ever make no, up after no, playing? No, no, I didn't get on well. I didn't. I, he was never my cup of tea. Even when I played with Scotland, he, he was captain of Scotland. He the always COS. COS. <laughs> he always wrote that captain of Scotland. He was hopeless. But no, he spat that night in Ray Hankins' face, and that's what started it. And I went ballistic, and I'm shouting to Big Ray to nail him, and he wouldn't nail him. And that's his whole oh, nail. He was a big bastard. <laughs> and, and who started the, the, the scrap in New, against New York? I never started that. That wasn't me. Was, uh, uh, Carlos Alberto? No, he was kicking it. He started with Escadarian, the right back. Oh, the he was Iranian Iranian. Iranian. Scotland had played Iran in, in Argentina. I was home by that time. Don't mess it up. Don't mess it up. You won the... The Cup Winners' Cup with Rangers in 72 and then you won the Soccer Bowl here. I know you've said the Cup Winners' Cup, that's the pinnacle of your career. Oh, is is yeah, this yeah. pretty close to it? Ah, yeah, that's what I'm saying to the boy. It's, honestly, it's in the top five because when you won a trophy, especially when you were playing against the boys that we played against, yeah. I mean, they weren't like mug teams. They were good professional yeah. football players. I mean, you had the likes of Pelly and Beckenbauer. Beck they and weren't bad that, players, yeah. eh? Yeah. So the wee team, the wee village by Vancouver yeah. people. Now That's you, what we had. Like talking the Rangers, obviously you scored two goals in the European Cup Winners Cup final. Does that go down as like your your highlight of your career? That ah, so, obviously that, that because you're in a European final and Rangers went in a few, but they never they only won one, and I scored two of the goals and Collinsdean scored the other one, and uh, that's great. But honest, I'm no kidding. What we done in Vancouver was great, also because, as I said, we had a lot of good players, and everybody says at that time we were all coming to the end, which probably we were. Most of us were coming to the end of our careers, but we still wanted to win something and 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 won it for the city, you know. Which Look, when, when Tony Waiters brought you over, like he he brought you over as a winger, he brought over <laughs> Carol Valentine as a winger as well. It, it's it was kind of unusual in the game over here because no teams were really playing with wingers. Did that give you an advantage that you could kind of do stuff that oh, other mean, teams hadn't? Aye, oh, but we had. Uh, you've got to get the ball, and the, the players in the middle of the park. When, I think the the best signing Tony made was that season when he got Alan Ball, and Alan Ball settled the middle of the park down and released myself and Carl Valentine to, to do what we could do. But Alan Ball was a big help to the club. What, what made you decide to come over here? Was it just to get away? I know, aye, aye, aye. When everything happened in Argentina, I was about, I was 10, so aye, I barely aye. remember the press, but I know they crucified oh, yeah, I got hammered, honest. And uh, I was playing at West Brom at the time, and Ron Atkinson was the manager. 
and he didn't want me to leave, but I said to him, I've, I've got to leave. And I was going to QPR in London, and I didn't want to leave Birmingham to go to London, and I got a phone call from Tony Waiters asking me if I would be interested in coming to Vancouver. And my wife, Margaret, she thought I was going to London. <laughs> I says, no, I think we're going a wee bit further. <laughs> and we ended up here. And it, as I say, it was great. To start with, it was a wee bit hard, strange, playing in the AstroTurf and that. But once I got used to it, and uh, I, honest, I, I had the time of my life here. Over the years, like the media has been horrible to you, oh. but everywhere you've played, Rangers, here, West Brom, everyone's loved you. So that must make you feel good about what you did as a player. I'd done my job. Yeah. I tried to do my job. An entertainer. Yeah, a, a, a professional footballer. <laughs> that was a first one, yeah. but then if you could do something daft, it was, yeah. that was excellent. If, if there was any like Scottish players now that's thinking about coming over to MLS, obviously it's a whole different thing to NESL, but what would be your advice for a young guy thinking, should I go to North America, should I go to Canada and play the game? Oh, aye, 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 aye. Honestly, I, I, well, as I say, it was, when I played, there was players coming to the end of their careers, but the standard was high. You just had to look at the Cosmos and Tampa and, and uh, Los Angeles, the players that they had. And obviously any kid or any young boy, start, even starting here and coming, if he can do it here, he, he can do it back in Scotland, no problem. Because the standard here and the standard in Scotland is not very good to know. I, I want to talk a little bit about early in your career, because Scott Simon was your manager. Obviously he's a Rangers legend. Before Rangers, though, he was an East Fife legend. Uh-huh. And he took us to the best time of our, yeah, our yeah, football yeah. career. What was he like as a manager? Oh, Scott was a gentleman, a perfect gentleman. I think uh, at that time it was a different way of managing and everything like yeah. that. So, and then along came Joe Steen and Mr. Simon yeah. tried to find it hard. But yeah, you've had some good managers that you've been under. Oh, as well, I, I've, so. I've, I've, I've met a few. Yeah, I mean Scott Simon. I was reading your autobiography again. And you mentioned in that he always told you to stay away from Jim Baxter. And, but, I mean, back then... One of the best players in the world. Yeah. How could you stay fifer. away? A fifer. <laughs> and he liked a drink. Yeah. But he was one fantastic football player. But you, you look back at that Rangers team and it's like... I mean, you look back at the Scotland team at the time. You had all the top talent. You had Dalgleish, yourself. You've got like Derek yeah, Johnston, so, yeah, Sandy yeah, Jardine. Yeah, players. Danny McGrain. What do you think's happened to Scotland? Uh, they're getting better. I think now they've got a yeah. good manager. I honestly yeah, do. Clark's I think. I, I hope the boy does great because he, he's proved himself as a manager, and it's a different thing going to international level. But yeah. I hope he does it. Willie Johnston there. Hope you enjoyed that one. I thought I'd just bring you a bonus interview since we've been talking about Scotland's great success. May as well bring you an interview with a great Scottish player and as I mentioned, one of the best players to come out of Fife of all time. And when you think about some of the former Scottish internationals that we have had at East Fife, it's quite an impressive list. We've also had East Fife guys that have been called up to international duty themselves. 
In the 40s and the 50s, we had the likes of Henry Morris, Alan Brown, Charlie Fleming. Later years, not so much. We had a few at youth level. But we have had a, a number of former Scotland players end up at East Fife as players, as managers, sometimes as both, like Stevie Archibald, as I mentioned there. And if you look back at that East Fife team, the one promotion to the top flight in the early 70s, the last time East Fife were in the top flight in Scottish football, that was a squad that had a number of former Scottish internationals in it. Ernie McGar, Billy McPhee, to name just two. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we got an all-time 11, and I'm really sorry, for the life of me, I can't remember who it was that, that sent this in, but it was made up of former international players that have played for East Fife over the years. And it didn't just feature, like, former Scottish internationals. You had Robert Pretz from Sweden, Arnold Dwarica, Trinidad and Tobago... But what I thought would be fun to make up would be an all-time 11 of East Fife players that have played for Scotland either during their time of playing with East Fife or have come to East Fife having had a career with Scotland before that. So get your thinking caps on, send us in your all-time 11s that fit that category, either on Twitter at Glory Days of Gold or shoot us an email, glorydaysofgold at gmail.com. Certainly quite a, a few names that pop into my head. And bonus points if you can get as many players that have been capped during their time at East Fife into that team as well. Of course, one of the most recent players that kind of fits the category of having been capped for Scotland and ending up at East Fife was the aforementioned Gary Naismith. Came to East Fife in 2013, made 44 appearances as a player for East Fife. Took over the management role in 2013 as well, and I don't need to tell you, he delivered a championship in the 2015-2016 season. All great achievements. Definitely a guy that is going to make everyone's all-time greats, I feel, in that category. Maybe just all-time greats of his Fife in general. And we had Gary on the show. He was one of our first interviews in Glory Days of Gold, back in episode 3. We learned a lot of things about him. Later on, we also learned whether he fancied a chocolate digestive or not. But I know what you're all wanting to know. Just what is Gary Naismith's favourite jam? What's your favourite jam? Traffic jam. What's wrong with raspberry? What's wrong with plum? How's about a blob of elderberry on a scone? What's your favourite jam? So if you're at home, you might not you might not want this if you don't have a sweet tooth, but if you're at home and you're having like a crumpet or toast or a muffin or something like that and you want to have some jam, what's your favourite jam? Strawberry. Strawberry jam. What's your favourite jam? Jamming away with Gary Naismith there. Can life get any better? And his five win on Saturday, or two wins Tuesday and Saturday, would just really have made this week even more wonderful. But I think we, we can live with two close defeats to teams above us in the pecking order in Scottish football. Scotland's victory just kind of overtakes all of that, I think. 
So we don't have too much more for tonight's show. Got a quiet mailbag again. So again, I'll throw this open. We're looking still for a number of suggestions on a number of categories. We're looking for your all-time East Fife 11s. I've also thrown out this new one of an all-time East Fife 11 of Scottish internationals. Let us know your favourite Scottish hard men. Let us know some of your favourite away day memories of following East Fife around as well. Maybe even this week if you want to throw in some Scottish ones just in general for following the national team, we'll put those into the equation as well. We also want some of your suggestions for our East Fife A to Z. The last two shows we've done A and B. We're going to do C tonight. Lee has sent his suggestion in for this. Now the obvious one for C is Clarkie. Davy Clark, East Fife legend, as a player, as a manager. I already had him in the A to Z under A for appearances. So if we're putting him in for that, that is going to free C up for something else. So Lee's suggestion for C is Cups. East Fife, as we all know, the most successful football club in Fife. Most cup wins of any of the four senior teams. Three League Cups, one Scottish Cup. You can also factor in a Scottish B Division title, a Scottish 3rd Division title, Scottish League 2 Championship, two Supplementary Cups, one Scottish Qualifying Cup, 19 Fife Cups, four Penman Cups, four Weems Cups and one Weems League. That's a lot of silverware in the East Fife Trophy Room and I'm sure we're going to be adding to it in years to come. Another C that we could have in our East Fife A to Z is crowds. The record crowd at Bayview Park was set on January 2nd, 1950, when 22,515 people turned up to watch East Fife defeat Wraith Rovers 3-0 in a Division 1 match. Happy New Year to everyone at that one. The record crowd at Bayview Stadium was originally set on May 10th, 2003, when a capacity of 1,996 fans came along to watch that momentous 1-0 victory over Queen's Park that saw us gain promotion to the second division. That record though was broken in 2013-14 season when the special temporary stands were put in around the ground for the visit of Rangers for that League One match on October 26th. 4,700 fans were in attendance that day. But the largest crowd ever to watch an East Fife match took place at the 1950 Scottish Cup final at Hampden Park. East Fife might have lost 3-0 to Rangers, but there was 118,262 fans in attendance that day. Staggering stuff. So let us know who your nominations might be for C. Also let us know your nominations for A and B as well. For C we could have one of our captains. We could have one of our chairmen. You might want to pick a player that's name began with C, first or last name. Could it be Charlie Fleming, Cannonball Fleming? He's definitely worth a shout if you're wanting to put a player in. Think of this as like Room 101. Who is going to be getting in to this exclusive club? We'll be back next week with D, but hopefully we'll have some of your suggestions in as well. But that is pretty much it for tonight's show. It's been a bit of a celebratory show. Not so much from an East Fife point of view, but from a Scotland point of view. So before we go, it's time for this week's Wavelength. 
and I'm going to keep this Scotland theme going. Now, I had a look at what the Scotland official song was for the last time that they qualified for the Euros in 1996. It was Rod Stewart and the Scotland squad singing Purple Heather. Now, it's not a bad song, and it's also called Wild Mountain Time, but for some reason they released it as Purple Heather. I like the Silencers version of that in particular. That's a a fantastic song just in general, so I'm not knocking that song, but it doesn't really jump out at you as being a football song, and it was mostly Rod Stewart. There was very little impact from anything to to do with the Scottish national team. So I'm not going to play that, but I am going to play the last song, the last official song that was recorded for a Scotland appearance at a major final, and that was for the 1998 World Cup in France. This is Delamitri with a, a song that didn't really last, I think it's fair to say, called Don't Come Home Too Soon. Shaking yet, but you might prove them wrong. Even long shots make it. So go. Shaking yet, but you might prove them wrong. Even long shots make it. Just don't come home to say. Just don't come home to say. Just don't come home to 
Delamitri there, Don't Come Home Too Soon. It was not a song that the Scottish squad took to heart, as it was another first round exit. It reached number one in the Scottish charts. I think it peaked at number 15 in the UK charts altogether. I I really like that. I think it's a good song. It did get a little bit of a mixed reaction when it came out in 98. Not really helped by the fact that Scotland then bounced out of the competition after their first three group games, but I think it, it holds up today. The lyrics are good, it's very stirring. I'm excited to see what the official song is going to be for this 2021-2020, whatever you want to call it, Euros next year. Are they going to get like a collection of fans in? Are we maybe going to do a remake of We Have a Dream? That I would love. Obviously, COVID and stuff depends how many folk you can get together and stuff. But that would be my tip. Get all these guys back. Revisit that 1982 classic. Even get John Gordon Sinclair to, to still do the main vocals for it. Bring in a host of local Scottish talent as well. Current Scottish talent. I'm going to challenge any of the local bands as well that might be listening to this. PG Charlotte in particular, this one's for you. See if you can come up with a, a official or unofficial song for Scotland at the Euros next year. And whatever anyone comes up with, send them along to us, glorydaysofgold at gmail.com, and we will feature them on the show. And of course, I still would like some people to write some songs about East Fife as well. But that is it now for tonight's episode. Thank you for staying with us to the very end. Lee will hopefully be back next week. Fingers crossed that he gets a lot better over the the next week. I've had bad back pain myself for a number of years now and it's certainly one of the most excruciating pains I think you can have. So get well, Lee, soon. Just take it easy, man, and hopefully we'll get you back on the show soon. You can give Lee a follow and send him get well wishes on Twitter at LeeG1903 or get in touch with either of us at Glory Days of Gold on Twitter or GloryDaysOfGold at gmail.com if you want to send us an email. You can get hold of me on Twitter at AFTN Canada or at AFTN website. Recommend the AFTN Canada one for a quicker reply or drop me an email AFTNCanada at hotmail.com. Also, check out both of AFTN's sites, aftn.co.uk for all your East Fife stuff, and aftn.ca for Vancouver Whitecaps, MLS, and North American football stuff. If you haven't listened to our AFTN Soccer Show podcast, definitely do that. Check out some old episodes as well. We speak to a lot of the Scottish guys that are over in MLS if you want to catch up with how they are doing. Hopefully get a couple more of those coming up in the few weeks that are to come with the playoffs getting underway over here. But we'll be back next week. Fife Fan Zone will be back chatting about East Fife's game with Partick Thistle. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care and mourn the Fife. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.